with you, especially since you're such a good-looking group of people. And I don't just say that to get a cheap applause out of you. You just really are good-looking. So if you got it, flaunt it, right? Like, just own it. Work what your mama gave you, right? We're going to be reading in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, uh, verses 9 through 12 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can open it. You can stay there in that chapter, chapter 4 of Ecclesiastes. It's written as a sermon. This guy named Solomon wrote this book, and Solomon was the son of David. Solomon is known to be the wisest and richest person who has ever lived. Is it a coincidence that those two things go together? No, but this guy Solomon, who had everything, and he was the wisest guy who ever lived, he wanted to warn us, and God inspired through his Holy Spirit that this word would be written for our benefit. He wants us to know, Solomon, not to waste your lives living and trying to accomplish um, things that don't have an eternal impact. He wants us to make the greatest possible impact with our lives. And this guy who had everything, he wants your life to count. God wants your life to count. So here's what he wants you to know. If you want your life to make a difference and to be meaningful, you've got to value relationships over possessions and people over stuff. Amen? And so here's what Solomon writes, and this is kind of summing it up. Verse 9 says, two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. Very simple, two is better than one. Now I want you to look at your neighbor right now, the good looking one, and tell him that we're better together. We're better together. And that's the title of my, my message this morning, we're better together. Now look at your other neighbor and say, why did you choose me second? Listen, I don't want you to miss out on the better that God has for you because you neglected together. We need to be together. We all want to succeed. We want to have a successful life. But here's the truth. Uh, success does not always come easily, is it? It's not going to come easily. It doesn't just, doesn't just happen. It's not always easy. In fact, this passage, another translation says and communicates the original intent that you would understand. It says not just that they will help each other succeed, but that they will have a good return for their labor. A good return for their labor. This term describes an agricultural worker in the field who works hard. This guy knows that if he does not labor in the field, there will not be a harvest. We often talk about the harvest in church, and we're like, we're ready for the harvest. And everybody's like, woo! And we don't even realize that back in the day when actual farmers had to go out and bring in the harvest, they didn't relax during the harvest. That was the most difficult season for them, right? Like anybody grew up on a farm or on a field, like, you had to farm. My mama grew up on a farm. Anybody else? Yeah, I, I've done that whole thing. Hay bales. Like, it's hard work, right? And you know that in harvest season, it's time for hard work, isn't it? Yeah. Has anyone here ever worked with somebody who was lazy? Yeah. It, here's what I found. It's actually possible to be lazy and a hard worker at the same time. Yeah. I, I found that lazy people will work hard to avoid doing any real work. You've ever worked with someone like that? They'll work harder to get out of work by the end of their shift. If they just took that effort and put it into something productive, it would be a miracle, right? But the farmer, he, he knows, right? Like he, he doesn't have to be pushed 
to work hard. He knows that if he doesn't labor, his family won't eat. This is not the picture that we see today of so many people who, who sit around goofing off, hoping that their life will change by luck. You're not going to have a successful, meaningful life through luck. You can buy as many lottery tickets as you want, or as Dave Ramsey calls, stupid tax. But you can't count on a lottery ticket to change your life. Cultivating a meaningful life is hard work. Amen? We're so used to convenience. I love convenience. It's, a, it's just a great day and age we live in, a day and age here, where you can order a button off of Amazon, and you can just push that button, and toilet paper will show up to your house. Like, isn't that crazy? Like, I love living in this era. But, like, the truth is, like, that can sometimes have a, a negative effect on us. It can backfire a little bit. And the downside of that effect is that we want life to be easy like that. We want life to come easy. I don't want to have to work hard for success. I want to download success into my life. I want a fast download, too, not that dial-up internet. And so young people today, especially, they, they struggle. My, my generation, the millennials, even some of the generation Xers, if life comes hard, there's a tendency to want to give up, isn't there? I'm talking to young men especially, especially the young men. I got some young men in this church who are hard workers, and I'm grateful for them. But, man, we got some young men in our society that need to learn how to work hard. Women tend to work harder just by nature, I've just found. But guys, man, some guys, like if it's hard, there's a tendency you just want to give up. But you can't give up. A meaningful life is not the result of luck but labor and hard work. We, all, we always say, like, not that we should work harder, but that we should work smarter. That's, that's been my life motto for a while now, like work smarter, not harder. But that's not really entirely accurate or fair. The truth is that sometimes the smartest thing is to work harder. It's to work hard. And God wants your whole life to be better. He doesn't just want your Sunday to be better. You realize this? He wants your whole life to be better, and it can be through hard work. But getting an education is hard work, isn't it? Building a successful career is hard work. You know, God wants you to have a successful career. Nurturing a godly marriage is hard work. Don't say amen too loud right there, you know. You're supposed to be like, what? It is? Not in uh. Raising responsible children is hard work. You can say amen there. Like, we don't care what they think. Sharing your faith is hard work. It is. It's, it's awkward sometimes. It's difficult. Cultivating a healthy church is hard work. I have pastor friends, and sometimes they'll say, man, Ryan, you're so lucky that you have that church. It's a healthy church. It's a growing church. And I'm like, child, please. This is not the result of luck. There's a lot of people who had to work hard to cultivate this healthy church. There's a lot of people that had to get their hands down in the mud and sweat and bleed and cry to cultivate a healthy church. People who sacrifice. This doesn't just happen. God's work is hard work. And here's the thing. You can't do it alone. You can try, but you will unnecessarily struggle and come up empty-handed if you try to do it alone. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. After all, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? 
That's a good question. Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? Right? Like maybe you're wondering right now. Maybe you're new to church. Apollos and Paul were both guys who gave their life to Jesus and they recognized that he is the Messiah and they were going around and they were preaching the gospel and they were not just preachers, they were the best preachers. They were making a difference and people were getting saved and then there kind of developed this debate about who was better and if it was better to get, you know, be like a follower of Apollos or be a follower of Paul. It's kind of like today people be debating, you know, who's a better quarterback, Tom Brady or Peyton Manning. And so some people will be like, I'm a Tom Brady guy. Some people, I'm a, Tom, a Peyton Manning guy. And so Paul wrote this passage to say, like, who are we? Who is Paul? Who is Apollos? We are only God's servants through whom you believe the good news. Each of us did the work the Lord gave us. I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it. But it was God who made it grow. It's not important who does the planting or who does the watering. What's important is that God makes a seed grow. The one who plants and the one who waters Work, what's that word? Together with the same purpose, and both will be rewarded for their own hard work. It wasn't an individual effort. Paul said, I planted the seed, which is the hard part, and then this guy Apollos came along and he watered it, which is good too, and then God made the seed grow. We worked together. And I love what he said that God will reward each according to his own hard work. And I love that because I hate group work, you know? Do you guys do group projects in school? Aren't they the worst? They're the worst. Like, you know, I'm trying to get a good grade. I want to do a good job, but every group has that guy. You know what I'm talking about? That guy who lets the ball drop, who, who slacks off. Some of you are that guy, you know? <laughs> Some of you are, oh, I love group projects, right? Like, woo! I hate group projects. Like, I wanted to get good grades. And then you got that guy that slacks off. And so that's why I love this passage, right? Because I, I, I want to avoid group work sometimes. Because let's be honest, it's more convenient to work on my own, isn't it? It's more convenient. Like, I don't have to wait for you to show up. Like, you don't have to wait for that person to get on the same page. You don't have to worry about them dropping the ball. But wait, but see, it's more convenient to work to. Uh, on your own, but the Bible shows us and God's word shows us that it's more effective to work together. And I love the fact that God says, you don't got to worry about someone else not working as hard as you because that's, that's what we all kind of wrestle with as human beings. Maybe you're serving back in the nursery and someone drops their baby off and you're like, I'm back here watching your kid. Why don't you volunteer in the work nursery sometime? You know what I'm saying? But guess what? God tells us in his word, each will be rewarded according to his own hard work. That's good news. Amen? I love that. And here's the thing. We know we're going to have to work hard in order to have a meaningful life. So let's, let's, just, let's just acknowledge that. Like, we're just going to accept that. We have to work hard. So if we have to work hard in order to have a meaningful life, we might as well get a good return for our labor. We might as well get the most possible um, reward we can get. We might as well make the biggest possible impact we can make. And here's what the Bible says. If you want to have a meaningful life, if you want to get the best reward for your labor, we have to work together. We have to do it together. We're better together. That's what we want to know. We want to see that and we want to embrace that truth for our lives. Now here's what it says in the next verse. Verse 10. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. That's why they sold so many life alerts back in the day, isn't it? 
Because, you know, we saw grandma sitting there on the ground, and grandma, help, I fall, I can't get up. And, like, she's got that big old giant button around, like, on her necklace, and she's, like, pushing the button. And we're like, man, I got to get me one of those. Like, it's not very stylish, but I do not want to be stuck, fallen, can't get up. It's a biblical truth. It's a, that's why you saw that ad, and you're like, yeah, I don't want to be that person. I want someone there with me. I need help. You remember growing, remember growing up and you're driving in the car and, and you get a little older and your mom starts to let you sit in the front seat. And then sometimes it would happen where unexpectedly she would have to brake hard. And all of a sudden, because like, now, now like young people, like we wear seatbelts. But back in the day, some of you guys, like you didn't even have seatbelts back then. You know what I mean? And then back a couple of decades ago, like nobody even cared about seatbelts. Like no one even cared. But then here's what you did have. You had mom. <laughs> And mom, like, she, she hit that brakes, but then, like, like the flash, she's like, bam, her arm goes out across your chest. And, like, she might be a little mom, like 120 pounds, dripping wet, but all of a sudden she got super grizzly bear strength as she slams her paw into your chest and pins you to the seat. Like, no, not my baby, right? <laughs> Keeps your face from hitting the windshield. You're like, mom, I can't breathe, you know, like. I'm so grateful, though, like when that moment comes and the brakes get hit, like instead of going through the windshield, mama's there pinning you down. You got someone to stop you from, from disaster, to, from falling. And, and here's what we know. This guy Solomon, he said, if one person falls, but let's be honest, he's being kind of polite. It's really more a matter of when, when we fall. When we fall, no matter how skilled you are, no matter how experienced you are, how long you have been around the block, no matter how careful you are, you will fall, right? You may, you may have a time in your life where you fall. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12, it says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. In other words, it's saying the guy who thinks he's invulnerable is the most likely to fall. If you think you're exempt from this, man, the bigger they are, the harder they fall. You might experience a fall. You might experience a fall physically. You know, you know what it's like when you get injured. It's so discouraging. Or, or man, even as you grow older and your body starts to, to break down, it stops cooperating. We've got, some, we've got some people in this room that you're a little bit more seasoned in life, and you've experienced that, where your body gets achy and it stops cooperating, amen? And the young people are like, no, that, never, that will never happen to me. But see, this amazing thing happens. Like one of the sweet, the sweet things about life is that you take all those years, like taking care of your kids, changing their diapers and feeding them. But then when you get older, oh, revenge is so sweet. Now they got to change your diaper and feed you, right? And then you're going to be glad. You're glad that someone's there for you to help you when you fall physically. You might fall emotionally. I remember a couple years ago when I felt like I had I had gone through a season where, like, I fell emotionally and just, you know, like, I was a pastor. I was a pastor. But, you know, pastors, they fall too. And, and I had people in my life that were there to encourage me. Even though I had felt like emotionally I was out of whack and I was getting angry. And, and I'm grateful that I didn't have to go through that alone. And you might fall spiritually. Unfortunately, even when we give our lives to Jesus and we become Christians, we still sin, don't we? We sin. Isn't that just like kind of the reality and there's no way around it? And aren't you glad to go to, go to a church where they just kind of acknowledge that that's the truth? And so you're not coming. The same way we talk to these parents, right? Like you are free from the pressure to live as a perfect parent. 
because you've already been forgiven by the grace of God. Same way, like for all of us as Christians, like you are going to fall spiritually. Unfortunately, in this life, there will be times when you, when you blow it. But man, I'm so grateful to have people there with me who won't turn their back on me. People that will encourage you in that moment. Even though like other people might, might kind of want to distance themselves from you when you have a moment of shame, the body of Christ comes together and says, man, we are grateful for the restoration that God brings into our life through the redemptive power of Jesus Christ. Man, you might have fallen, but I'm going to reach an arm out. I'm going to help you back up. I want to see you get on your feet. Some people never get back up, though. You know why that is? It's because they were alone when they fell. So you got to ask yourself this question first. Am I ready for the fall? Am I ready? Am I ready for a fall if it comes? If it comes, if you start to fall, you want people there. But you want to cultivate those friendships in advance, too many people make the mistake of waiting till they fall to find friends. But unfortunately, you can't just you just can't go to the rent-a-friend store when life gets hard. You gotta cultivate those relationships in advance. Now I'm grateful that people show up to church when they've experienced a hardship. All the time, every week someone comes to church, maybe for the first time, because there's been something difficult in their life. Maybe they're Marriage is falling apart or they've fallen in their career or they're going through some kind of struggle and you came to the right place. Man, this is a place of hope. We're going to build you back up. We're going to help you get back on your feet. But you know what's even better? It's even better when you start to fall and somebody catches you. You know, like when you, you, know when you start to fall and like everything goes into slow motion? Or this happens when you're about to get in a car accident too. Like everything slows down and you like have all these thoughts going through your brain. And like I remember mountain biking one time, starting to go over the handlebars and just like having a conversation with myself. Like, hmm, this is going to be bad. Yeah. Like remember to tuck and roll, bro. Like, oh, watch out for that cactus. Oh, can't help it. Like, you know. Isn't it great though when you think you're heading for disaster and you kind of get saved from it at the last minute. Like you think you're about to get in a car accident, but by God's grace, you manage to avoid it and, and dodge that oncoming car. You think you're going to trip and fall, but your friend reaches out and grabs you and like, oh God, yeah, and helps you get back on your feet and get your balance. Man, you want to avoid that moment where your face meets the concrete. And you can only, only do that if you have people in your life who will be with you, who will reach out to help you. We're better together. Amen. Amen. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 11, this next verse says, Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. Yeah, they can. Bam, shika, well, well, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but here's what it says. How can one be warm alone? Mm-mm. Nothing better on that cold night crawling into bed and getting warm, right? I love after you're married, amen, amen, come on. See, some of you young people don't know that, but like, that's actually like a biblical thing, like a principle God lays out, like you get married and then you sleep together, and it's amazing how all the rest of your life will just work out so much better when you do things in the right order. That's a free little side note bonus teaching for today. But actually, this passage is not really just about marriage, being in a marriage bed and keeping warm, although like I'm going to say that's part of it. It, it really kind of keeps this idea of traveling together. Back on the, in the day when this was written, people had to, you know, they had to travel to get places. They had to walk to get places. And, and unlike today when we can drive and we get places 
and instantly, like almost in just a matter of minutes or even just a matter of hours, we can go way, way far and great distances. Back then, sometimes you had to travel, and it was a multi-day journey. And along the way, there weren't always hotels and motels that you could stay in. You had to stop and unpack your stuff and make a fire and put up a tent and camp out. You know, and, and unfortunately, sometimes you had to travel when the weather was inclement, when it was when not cooperating. It might have even been cold. And, and you know what? As an Arizona boy, I can just say that we were not meant to live in the cold. Amen? Like, I, I do not believe that God designed us as warm-blooded individuals to ever be cold. That cold is a, a, just a part of the curse of sin, I believe. And we're meant to be free from that. But in the day, you know, you would be camping, you'd be out and traveling, and, and man, you'd have to kind of, you know, scoot closer to each other just to survive sometimes. Because you go out in the cold, you could die. I experienced this. I remember when I was in the Army, there was this time I was uh, on, a, on a mission with some guys in my unit, and we had to stop, and we set up, you know, our, our base for the night where we were at. And, and we were there, and we were pulling security is, is what it's called, where you take turns um, staying awake and watching for a threat while the rest of your buddies sleep. And then, you know, you get your turn to sleep. And so eventually it came time where it was me and my, my buddy Mike's turn to watch to stand guard. So, so we got woken up. We had to crawl out of our warm sleeping bags, and it was freezing. You know what I'm saying? Like so cold, bone-chilling cold. And, and, and so we're doing our thing, and we're walking around. And then after a while, we were like, you know what, bro? We could totally stay awake and still watch guard, but like inside our sleeping bag, you know? So like, that's what we did. We kind of crawled back in the sleeping bag and we're trying to stay warm there with our rifle and kind of like watching our section. And, and then I'll be honest, not the, not the best moment of my life. I'm not really proud of this, but, but we're there lying in the prone, watching our sector, had our rifles, just kind of laying there, getting so cold, you know, like so so cold. Like the kind of cold that just starts to suck the will out of you as a human being. And as a man from Arizona, like it just like it starts to do like really bad things to you and like your strength. And you just start to you start to wither a little bit on the inside. And so I had this moment where I was like, hey bro. And Mike said, Yeah. And I was like, I know this sounds weird, but can we snuggle a little bit? <laughs> and I was like, I'm not like that, but I'm cold, you know? And so, like, I'm in my sleeping bag, and he's in his sleeping bag, so there was a degree of separation, but, like, kind of, like, snuggled up next to each other a little bit, you know? And I still, still had my rifle. I was still watching my section, right? But, like, I did kind of drape my leg up on his leg a little bit, you know? And it was like, it's awkward but not as awkward as freezing to death, right? And so I'm not, I'm, I, I just had to do it. Like, you don't want to be out in the cold alone. You could freeze. And Scripture is even kind of telling us, like, sometimes in life, the temperature of your soul can get cold, you know? It, it, it might be because you went through a season of rejection or suffering or disappointment or maybe burnout. And in that moment, man, you kind of feel like the passion and the life gets sucked out of you. And you still love God and you like, you know the truth, but you, you just don't feel it. You feel kind of cold. And, and we need people to be with us to spiritually warm us up. 
You don't want to be out in the cold alone. You want to be around other people so that their fire can reignite your fire. And that's why I love coming together as a church. That's why it's not just something we do for the fun of it. We do it for survival. See, because when you come into church, there will be a season you go through where maybe you feel like your internal temperature has dropped. Your soul has gone through a cold season and you're struggling and you don't feel that passion. But when you're around other Christians in your life group, when you're around other believers in church on Sunday, you can draw heat from them and it can keep you warm and it can even help you get through that season in your life. And that's why it's so important to be a passionate church because, you know, not every Sunday you're going to feel like being passionate. Amen. You're going to come into church some weeks and you're going to be like, man, I am struggling. I don't even even feel it right now. The truth is you can worship even when you don't feel it because God is still good even when my circumstances aren't good. But But the truth is that, man, the other people around you who are worshiping, they'll encourage you. It'll build you up. It'll remind you of the truth. Man, there's there's Joey. And I remember it wasn't that long ago that he got diagnosed with cancer. But man, God was faithful to him as he went through chemo. And I remember how he just kept the joy of the Lord in his heart. And and I'd see him at church with his hair falling out, but a smile on his face. And see, it reminded me, like, yeah, yeah, see if God could get him through that season, God will get me through this season. So when you come to church, be ready to encourage each other, to, to build each other up, to, to give someone else that warmth that they need to get through that cold season. And you need to cultivate those relationships with other people while the sun is shining. You don't want to wait till, till the cold comes. And it's not convenient. It's more, it's more convenient to just work as an individual. It's not convenient to come together on a regular basis. But coming together, being together, it could save someone's life. It could save someone's life. Think about like a bed of coals when you make a fire, burns down. A bed of coals, how even once it's burned down, that, that, that bed of coals can stay hot for hours, even days. But if you take one coal and move it off to the side, it will go cold in a matter of minutes. That's why you're not meant to live your life alone. And that's what I worry about the most as a pastor. Like parents worry about their kids. As a pastor, I worry about you. And it's not really about how often you pray It's not so much about how often you read the Bible. We all need to pray and read the Bible more. The thing I worry about the most is how much people live in isolation. When I don't see you for four weeks. When you stop going to your life group because life got busy. Anytime you put yourself in isolation, you put yourself in a position of vulnerability. So I want you to ask yourself this question. Am I leaving anyone out in the cold? Am I leaving anyone out in the cold? We often talk about community and life groups and how it's a benefit to you and how coming to church is for your sake on a regular basis. But think about this. It's not just for your sake. It's for the sake of other people. Isolation could cost someone else. could cost someone else greatly. That's why we need to come together. We all want friends. We all want friends. But one author wrote this. I went out to find a friend and they were nowhere. I went out to be a friend and they were everywhere. You want to have friends in your life? Go out to be a friend. Go out to try to keep someone else warm, to reach out and pick someone else up. I want you to pray about this. If you've been coming to a church, this church for a while, if you've, been, if you've been a believer for a while, pray about this. Would God have you to host a life group? To host a life group? To facilitate one, maybe in your home? And maybe you've been a part of a life group and you've already experienced the benefit of that, but 
man, God could use you to help other people, to be a blessing to other people. And, and God's going to speak to some lives in this room this morning that maybe, maybe there will be other people that God will bring into your life group that you're hosting now that you can build up and encourage by speaking life to them. It doesn't mean you have to be a Bible scholar to host a life group. We make it easy for you. We give you a study guide. You don't even got to prepare. You just show up and love people, and you can make a difference in someone's life. So I want you to pray about that. Would God have me to host a life group? And then I just want to encourage all of us to prioritize being together on a regular basis. Prioritize it. We're better together. And I love social media. Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful for it. I love staying in contact with you and liking the pictures of your dog and the little sweater thing, you know. But the problem with social media is that it's not a replacement for real community. And it can give us a false sense of security, like a false sense of relationship. But you can't stay warm from likes on a post, can you? When someone double taps your picture on Instagram, it doesn't get you through that moment when you've fallen and when you're struggling out in the cold. You need to be together with other believers. We're better together. Amen? Verse 12 says this, a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. Man, we're not only more successful together and better together, we're more effective together and we can conquer together. In fact, on your own, some things can overwhelm you and take you down. Isn't that true? Like, we all hate moving. We all hate when we have to move and load up the moving truck. It's a huge hassle. It's a pain. It's physically exhausting, isn't it? And that's really when you test out your true friendships, like who is going to come help you move. So we all hate it. Let's just acknowledge that. But the best part about moving, like there's got to be some redeeming quality to moving. Here's the good thing about moving. At least you get to show off how strong you are to your friends. Like, as a guy, that's pretty great. I like that. Like, I go to the gym for a reason. I want to impress my wife. So when we have to move, we have to help someone move, I'm like, babe, watch this. <laughs> right? Like, you get to impress her. Like, load another box up on top. Like, I got this chair by myself, right? And she's like, it's a really, like, small chair. No, no, no. I got it. Don't worry about it. But then you know this, too. Like, as a guy, like, you're really strong and you want to impress people. But then, like, you know how there are some things, they're not even that heavy, but they're really awkward. And so you can't quite carry it by yourself. Like, it's not, it's not that heavy, but just can't really get, like, a good grip on it. Like, and so you need someone else to help you. You're like, bro, can you help me carry this box? Like, it's not heavy, but, like, it's just awkward. That's how it is in life. Like, there are some things that would overwhelm you on your own, but together, it's no problem. It's not even a problem. That's why we were meant to be together, because we have an enemy who wants to undermine our relationship with Jesus Christ and overwhelm us spiritually. We're meant to stand back to back together and conquer, whereas alone, man, we can get picked off. It's a lot easier for the enemy to come in and pick us off. That's why I'm so excited about joining our church together with New Life Church in Ahwatukee. I was so pumped to announce it last week. If you weren't here last week and if you do not, um, you know, participate in the interwebs and all the things that go along with that, like email and social media, man, New Life Church is joining with us and it's going to become the Ahwatukee campus of Generation Church. And it's going to be incredible. So God is expanding our territory. 
he's, in, he's increasing the size of our church family. Man, and this means that we can be even more effective together. We're going to have now another campus, another, another partner, so to speak, to stand back to back with to conquer territory for Jesus, to expand the kingdom of God, to rescue people from destruction and sin through Jesus' name. Man, we can do more together than we could alone. Isn't that true? Because this is a healthy church. This is a strong church. Now, New Life Church over in Ahwatukee, they're a healthy church. They're a strong church. But what we realize is we can do more together. We can do greater things when we partner together than we could do alone. And I'm excited about this. I love what's going to happen here. And you just need to understand how big of a deal this is for our church. Like maybe you heard me talking about this and you've been coming here to this church and you're like, well, that's nice, Pastor Ryan. Good for you. This cool little pet project you got going on. Sweet. But you don't understand, like, this is a fight that we're in. We're all in this together. Now, over in Ahwatukee, where we're going to have our other campus, the people that are currently going to that church are being adopted into our family. These aren't like some, some you know, stepchildren forsaken out in the wilderness, right? Like, there are hundreds of people that are now adopted into our church family, and we are going to love them the way that we love each other here in this room, right? Okay, yeah, I'm going to need you to applause like a little bit more. Just like show me you're with me. All right. There we go. Yeah. Expand your heart. Make room for that family as they come. Like how many of you have adoption in your family growing up? Someone in your family was adopted. You know someone that was adopted. You know that when someone is adopted into a family, you don't love those kids less than your kids. And you might even love them more, right? Because like, you chose those kids. <laughs> you, got, you got stuck with your kids, but you chose those kids. And it's the same way with this. Like, we love the people who go to the Awatsuki campus. They're part of our family. I'm so grateful for what we're going to be able to accomplish together. We're going to be able to do better together. And this is a call to arms. We are in a fight, and the enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy. And we are waging war for the souls in Phoenix, we're going to fight, and we need everyone. We need you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says this, The human body has many parts, but the many parts make up one whole body. So it is with the body of Christ. We're a body, the church. We're a body, the body of Christ. And sometimes the body misses out on better because individuals neglect together. You have individual strengths, gifts, talents and abilities other people in this room are weak in the area where you're strong that's why God designed us to come together that's why he called you in advance before you were even born he knew you were going to be saved you were predestined to be a part of God's family because God knew that I needed your strengths where I'm weak and so when you withhold yourself from the body of Christ and you live your life in isolation and you only show up to church once every three weeks you're making the rest of the body of Christ suffer Right, like We need your gifts. We need your strengths. We need your talents. The body can miss out on better because we don't come together. And that's why we need you in this effort, this fight, where we're trying to reach people. We need everyone in this room to participate. We need you to pray. Don't underestimate the power of prayer. You can pray. You can pray, and your prayers make a difference. God hears your prayers. Your prayers don't have to be magic or flowery. You don't got to use the words thou in your prayers. You just talk to God. And he hears you. He hears you. Sometimes you pray without even using words. Just your heart cries out. We need everyone in this room to serve. 
there's a, way that's, there's a way that you can serve. There's a way you can make a difference. Maybe you haven't been serving in any particular way up until this point. But, man, I'm not trying to guilt trip you right now. I just want you to take this moment to ask God, how can I serve? How can I make a difference? How can I get involved? We need everyone who's part of our church to give. Giving is a part of being a Christian. God saved us by generously giving his son, Jesus, to us. Now, we all follow in his example, living a life of generosity. If you are a Christian, you should be growing in generosity as God grows your spirit, right? And so giving financially, when we do that offering thing and we give online, that's not just something for the super Christians. It's not. It's not just something for like those radical, those radical sold out Christians. That's something for every Christian, it is for your sake. I mean, it, it really does change you when you start to live a generous life. It changes you in every way. Man, it just changes the way you look at people and everything. But it also, God will take your gift, which you bring to him, and he'll use it to reach people who do not know Jesus Christ. And so you'll get to invest into the kingdom of God and be a part of people being saved from an eternity in hell because you gave financially. You might not have even ever met someone who gets saved through your giving, but you'll meet him in heaven. And that'll be an incredible moment when someone says, thank you for being generous. I was reached through your giving and your generosity. We need everyone to participate in this. Get involved, give, serve, pray. I'm even praying that we'll have adults from our church. I'm putting out a special call to arms here. This is for the hardcore, okay, who will commit to attending in the Ahwatukee campus for the next six months or maybe even permanently. Maybe you're one of those people, okay? This isn't for everyone. This is not for everyone. This is for the few, the proud, the chosen, the Marines, not, not, or, the, or like the really hardcore. Like, this might be you. God might be calling you. Like, how can I get involved? How can I make a difference? One of the ways you can make a difference is by being one of these people. I'm praying for about 75 adults, he will say, I'm going to make the Ahwatukee campus my new home campus. I'm going to go there and serve. I'm going to go there and encourage. Maybe for some of you it's even closer to where you live or it's not even really any further away than the distance you drive to come here. But you're saying, like, man, I can go there and I can, I can make a difference. Yes, it's the shortest mission trip you could ever go on. It really is. So what I'm trying to do as a pastor, I'm trying to say, like, look, we're trying to reallocate some of our firepower from Mesa's campus to Ahwatukee's campus. So I, maybe, maybe you're one of those people that's like, man, I'll do it. I'll go, even if it's just for six months, I'll go there. I'll make a difference because we want to see this effort and this movement continue forward. We want to build momentum to reach more people. And it's going to happen as we come together. It said, remember we read, three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. There's a saying, it says a snowflake is a fragile thing, but if you get enough of them together, you can stop traffic. Right? But, and really, you know, you get the point of that. Like when we come together, we're stronger. But I, I read that quote, though, and I was like, I ain't no snowflake, son. And you're not no snowflakes. Like you are strong, filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You're able to make a difference. But when you come together as a church, you are unstoppable. And if you'll join together in this effort to reach people, man, only God knows what we could accomplish. That's why I want to see us not just come together and have a campus in Mesa and Ahwatukee, but I want to see us, man, start planting campuses all over the valley. Because you know that Phoenix is one of the top 10 least churched cities in America. So we need churches in this city. 
There are a lot of people in this city that do not know Jesus Christ who are living in sin without the hope that we have through Jesus. So we don't want to just have two campuses or three campuses or four campuses. Like LeBron James said, we want seven championships, like eight campuses. And we can do it together. God will use us. And I'm grateful that technology allows us to expand our reach and reach more people than we could in person, aren't you? Man, you realize back in the day, like Paul the Apostle, he wrote letters to churches and he's like, hey, I haven't been with you for a couple years. I hope you're doing well. You know, it would have blown their mind if they could see this day and age where you can FaceTime with someone and see someone from across the planet. But we get to do that with technology, with video. We can reach people. And the truth is, like everybody, we, I see this all the time. A lot of you guys, you'll know what I'm talking about. You come to this service, you sit here, we're in person, but I watch you looking at the video screen. <laughs> a lot of times I'll be standing here and I'll be, like in, I'll be preaching and I'm like five feet away from my wife when she's sitting in the front row. She's always sitting over here when she's in the service and I'll see her like turn and look at the video screen. And I'm like, babe, I'm right here. Look at me. Like you can, I'm close. But it's just like human nature. We tend to look at screens. We, we look at screens. And you know that God can reach people with the preaching of the word of God even through video. Isn't that crazy? And I know I've met some people that are like, no, he can't. But let me just ask you, though, because, you know, everybody's entitled to their own opinion. But, like, have you ever watched a movie that made you cry? I did on Friday. It was that movie Lion, you know, that kid that got separated from his family in India. I cried. That's not important, okay? <laughs> have you ever listened to a song on K-Love that moved you, right? Have you ever listened to a podcast that was previously recorded that helps you. Do you know anyone like who's been saved watching a preacher on television? Like God can move in any way possible that he wants to. And we will do anything at this church short of sin to reach people who don't know Jesus Christ, won't we? We're better together. I want to close with this as we get ready to wrap this up. In Ephesians chapter 6, Verses 13 through 17 says, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This passage says, put on the full armor of God. And I know that you're smart. Room is filled with Bible scholars. So you read that passage just now. And like me, you're like, you know, concerned. You said, what about my backside? <laughs> you know, because like, I didn't catch anything on there for my back. You know, but here's the thing. God said, we don't need that. We don't need that because we're not meant to fight alone. We're meant to stand back to back and fight together. There are some battles that cannot be won alone. There are some enemies that cannot be defeated alone. There are some attitudes that cannot be changed alone. There are some habits that can't be broken alone. There are some needs in your life that can't be filled alone. You have to be together in order to have the better life that God wants for you. And listen, when you give your life to Jesus Christ, I cannot promise you that you will not have any struggles going forward. It's not the case. Your life is not going to be easier necessarily, but it will be better. And I can promise you that you won't have to face those struggles alone. We will fight together. So you have to ask yourself this question. Are we ready for the fight? 
Are we ready for the fight? Do you have someone at your side? Whose back do you have? We're not meant to fight alone. We're meant to fight side by side and conquer. Are we ready for the fight? Are you gonna do your part? Are you gonna get in the fight? Don't leave yourself vulnerable and isolated. Get side by side with another believer and conquer together. And listen, here's the best news that when you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're never alone, are you? You get the spirit of God living inside of you. And whereas before you were alone in sin and darkness with Jesus, man, you have life and forgiveness. That is the best life, a life, a relationship with Jesus Christ. I wanna give you an opportunity to take that step today. Would you bow your heads right now? Just have a moment of privacy. If you say, I want to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I want to have that better life that he offers me. I know I need to be forgiven of my sins. I know I can't do it alone. I've tried and I see it doesn't work. Here's what the Bible says. If you'll believe in Jesus and trust him, you will be saved. It just says we gotta believe in your heart that God sent his son Jesus to this earth, that he was fully God and fully man, that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose again. And if you'll place your trust in him, he will forgive you and save you. You can experience that this morning. And I just wanna ask you to pray this prayer with me. If you're like, hey, I wanna take that step of faith. I wanna experience this relationship with Jesus. You can do that this morning. Just between you and God, just pray this in your heart. Just say, God, I know that I need forgiveness. I need your son, Jesus. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and I believe that he rose again so that I could be forgiven. I give you my life and I thank you for loving me. Even though I didn't deserve it, I'm excited to live this life together with you. I know I'll never be alone and you'll never forsake me. In your name I pray, amen. And if you're here and you pray that prayer this morning, I just wanna celebrate with you before you leave. If you pray that prayer, I want you to shoot your hand up on a count of three so we can share with you and celebrate with you what God's doing in your life. Because we're all in this together, aren't we? One, God brought you here for a purpose. Two, because he loves you and he wants you to have the better life through Jesus. Three, if you pray that prayer this morning, shoot your hand up. That's awesome. That's so great. I see that hand, sir. Man, we love it. Would you stand to your feet this morning? We are so excited that Jesus has saved us from sin, that we don't have to live alone. We're gonna give him praise before we leave this morning. We're gonna worship his name. And I just wanna ask you to get yourself back in the groove here. Get yourself back in the mood and ready to worship. And I want you to worship with passion, that your passion could ignite the fire in someone on your side. We get to celebrate that we are not living in isolation, that through Jesus, we're part of the body of Christ and we have victory together, amen. So if you're here and you're comfortable, right now. Would you just raise your hands to the Lord and get ready just to lift your voice. Tell God that you love him and tell him that you're grateful to be saved. We are together. We are victorious through Jesus. We aren't alone. Come on.